Welcome back, everyone, to the RFP Secrets Podcast, where we help you make better procurement decisions with fewer regrets. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the RFP Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, John Meta, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Chris Sochak, Principal and Global Procurement Advisory Practice Leader at the Hackett Group. With over 24 years of experience, Chris has been a trailblazer in redefining procurement practices and driving success in global projects. Alrighty, so we're live now with our lovely guest. And before we do anything, we have a tradition in our show, Chris. I have Mm -hmm. this box that has 100 cards in there. I bought it from a place called the School of Life. And it's basically they're trying to promote having more conversation within the families. So they have 100 cards from very different categories, family, work, school, um, fun, technology. What I would like to do with you is I've just picked some of them. I'm going to flip them. And once you tell me stop, I'm going to pick one and I'll ask you the question. All right? Okay. Stop. All right. Let's pick this one. All right. So that one says, the best way to get me to do something I don't want to do is? <laughs> I would say talk. Your wife will love that. <laughs> yeah, so it depends on who's asking me. Yeah, I would normally say, just if you want me to do it, have my wife tell me to do it, and it will get done. <laughs> but I would also say a little reward also helps versus the... the Having that, not the stick, but the uh, the reward, the incentive, the reward at the end. If you do this, you're going to get X, right? Go cut the lawn. Well, when you get done, I'll have a beer for you. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right. So jumping into today's topic, which is accountability for procurement mm-hmm. when it comes to project outcomes. I want to take a step back and really look at this. Uh, from a really holistic view. Mm-hmm. If we look at why organizations have a procurement function within um, their teams in the first place, there might be many different answers. But the simplest way to put it is that this organization is trying to procure goods and services, and they think or they believe the procurement team will be able to help them procure those things in the best possible way and um, that ensures really successful outcomes on each of these procurements. But there seems to be a little disconnect and it's a, an overlooked disconnect between what procurement define as a success versus mm-hmm. what the business and the stakeholders and the end user define as success. So Chris, I want to ask you on a really high level, do you believe that this disconnect exists? It's a it's a loaded question because it absolutely exists, but I wouldn't say it exists in the same fashion or form in all organizations. Uh, there are some organizations that there is a more significant disconnect between what procurement is looking at its outcome and potentially what its objective is 
and going through an acquisition process. And what the business actually wants is the outcome of a particular procurement or acquisition process as well. And, and it can be quite different. There's some differences that you might see by industry. An example would be, and you and I had an opportunity to have a discussion before this conversation mm -hmm. live. And one of the things we talked about was the difference between public and private procurement. Oh, yeah. So when you look at the public institutions that are out there, depending on where you are in the world, there tends to be very rigorous process-driven steps that those acquisitions have to go through. And I would argue that more of the focus is on following the process than on the outcome. Mm. When you look at private procurement, and this is in, in private industry, what you tend to find is procurement that is tends to be more objective driven. The question is whether or not that objective that those procurement organizations are focusing on is aligned with what the stakeholder, the business, the functional leader, those individuals actually want. And I would even argue that, do we go far enough even at the stakeholder level that's within the company? Depending on the type of business that you are, let's just say we're in a manufacturing organization and we're procuring stuff that goes into a particular product. Ultimately, there are some specifications that I'm trying to fulfill in terms of whatever procurement that I'm actually going through. And there's going to be a number of different, I'll call them design criteria that I'm going to utilize to source a particular goods, materials, services, et cetera, for whatever I'm trying to produce. And there's an objective that the business has in terms of that. But at the end of the day, what they're doing that for is a product that they're making to send to sell to customers. And so the question is, are we meeting the objectives that the overall corporation has in terms of potentially revenue, units that are sold within the marketplace, et cetera. And sometimes we don't see that visibility all the way on through from supply all the way out through to the end customer. One of the things that we have seen over the last, I would say more and more, and I would say some of this has, has actually been more integrated through the experience and the disruptions that we've faced and, and experienced uh, over the last several years due to the the COVID pandemic and the, and the disruptions in supply that has caused. As a result of that, you started seeing companies come and collaborate much more effectively together to meet the end consumer needs. The question is whether or not that kind of behavior that was done out of necessity at the period of time will continue while as we go into environments where we may not have that kind of, and those kind of constraints within our organizations, within the supply markets to meet the objectives of our customers. So I think to answer your question in a very long fashion, and, and it's a, a common statement that many people utilize, it depends, and it really depends on where you're looking. Oh, that's great. I think when we discussed this last time as well, and we mentioned this, the procurement practices, or let's focus more, since our show is more focusing on the tendering practices or the RFP process. Mm -hmm. If you look at this process and the way it's been put and 
what we're actually doing in this process, it has been there for decades. And it has seen very little to almost no improvement at all. And what we started to see is the outcomes of the projects and the services that were procured through this process, very inconsistent. The outcomes, sometimes we have projects that goes really well. Sometimes or most of the time it's average. Sometimes it's like horrible results. And if you look at the, the way that the business is looking at procurement as the expert to really help them put the right framework, the right practice, the right measures in order to help them having that consistent, successful outcomes. We see that the traditional approach of the current RFP or procurement process has really failed to provide these consistent outcomes for the project services. I'm not sure how much do you agree with that statement, Chris? And I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. And I think as you look at the outcomes that are out there, one of the things I think you have to look at is the time frame, which I think drives this, is the time frame between the end of a tendering event, a sourcing process, a decision to select a supplier ends and the end time of a particular project. I would argue that the longer that period of time, the less focus on the ultimate outcome of whatever that was used for that project, et cetera, and the success of that commercial activity to source to tender, to select a supplier is less impacted. And and what I mean by that is that if the outcome of the particular project is fairly recent and follows very quickly after I go out and I help support a decision to select a supplier, then I think the, there's going to be a very visible concern that the process that we went through specifically with the supply management organization procurement did not effectively select a supplier that met our objectives and didn't have the outcomes that we wanted. But if that time frame is very long, then I think there becomes a disconnect. And, and, and what I find sometimes is the organization that is actually making those decisions tends to move on to another decision process mm-hmm. to select another supplier somewhere else. And so what you get is this consistency in terms of supplier selection, architecting suppliers, but not necessarily the consistency in terms of managing and ensuring the performance of those suppliers, the contracts over a longer period of time. We do a study uh, in the company that I work for, and we ask organizations, where do you feel that some of your biggest gaps and capabilities are? In some ways, we're asking them, where are you least mature in capabilities within your organization? And if you look at it over the last uh, several years, the areas that have been cited as, you know, where there's opportunities for improvement or what we call in the study critical development are areas that have to do with the supplier management. And when I say that, it's really ensuring that you're accountable for the overall performance that that 
the decisions that you made through the sourcing process and the way that you've architected that contract are meeting the ultimate objectives of the business itself. And you do see that the processes are much less mature than what I would call the go-to-market selection, sourcing processes that we have. It's an area that's evolving. I started off making a comment that you do see inconsistency within organizations, well, across organizations, but you also see inconsistencies within organizations. Uh, it's very difficult to say that you go out to a particular company and say all of the, you're not necessarily focused on project outcomes. I would say and argue that you may see instances of that in that company, but you may also see instances where, you know, because of a lot of other pressures, sometimes it's time pressure. In the environment that we're in today, there's a lot of focus on speed. The business, and I'll call the cadence of the business, has increased significantly. And with that, it puts a lot of pressure on the commercial organizations, the contracting, sourcing, et cetera, to keep up with that cadence of the business. And, and with that, in some cases, shortcuts are taken. When we're going out, we, we got to meet a quick need. We meet that need and we move on. We're not necessarily concerned about the overall eventual outcome of what we've actually done. Mm. And, and, and so the question then becomes is how do we tie that to that? How do we get, because it takes more time to do that. It certainly, there's much more understanding that has to go in there to understand how is this, whatever you're sourcing, et cetera, where is it going to be actually utilized? And what's the ultimate success that we're looking at in terms of what it actually is functionality or, or functionally going to do? And it could be a, a business outcome in terms of revenue. It's a product that we're selling to the you know, external marketplace. If it's something internal that we're doing, what's ultimately are we trying to improve within the business as a result of that? Yeah. And, and, and we may have a disconnect there. We may have a procurement organization that's being driven. It's a very simple example, maybe driven based on finding the, the most cost and sometimes just, a, I won't say cost effective, but maybe it's the lowest cost of whatever they're looking for. And ultimately that's not necessarily going to give you the best outcome uh, for the organization uh, in terms of what is, what it's actually serving within that organization. And so it's not always addressed up front. And to address that, it takes time. You have to spend time with the business, not just understanding what you are trying to achieve through this execution of this process, but ultimately, and not just what the business thinks they need as part of it, but trying to fully understand what is that business using that for? Do you fully understand that? What is, how is it going to impact the organization? Because that ought to help you understand how I might go through that process, not only in terms of selecting the right supplier or suppliers, but at the same time, in terms of what I want in that agreement to ensure that success does occur over time. Mm. So sometimes it's just a, a lack of understanding what the true outcome needs to be. Yeah. I want to circle back, Chris, to that accountability piece and in my view, I'm not sure if you agree with that or not, the procurement function of the procurement team has really a significant role to play when it comes to vendor mm -hmm. selection. Because the business or the organization and the stakeholders are 
looking at us to help them really put the framework of how the tendering piece is going to go. What questions are we going to ask vendors to respond to? What information that we're going to seek from the market to make the right decision? What is the quality of the evaluation criteria and the weights that we're going to put on each element to make sure that we effectively evaluate proposals? But when we look at the current approach, do we as procurement give everything to the evaluation team to make their job easy, to really effectively evaluate these proposals? and find the best vendor and the best solution out of this activity. I'm going to delve into a little bit of the challenges that we've seen from our research and, and our implementations, and, and maybe mm-hmm. we can have a bit of a back and forth between me and you on this. Okay. So <clears throat> the first challenge that we see is that a lot of the evaluation criteria that we are going to put in place to measure which supplier we're gonna we're gonna pick isn't necessarily focusing on what makes differentials between vendors. And when I talk about this, I always refer to the expertise and the capabilities of that vendor. And when I say vendor, I don't mean the company name. I really mean the people, the key personnel that will be mm-hmm. leading the delivery of my project or service. Because the name of the company has really no correlation to performance. And we see this a lot in construction and in IT, where you hire one firm in one project and it goes well, and you hire the exact same company on another project and it's what? A total disaster. The name of Mm -hmm. the company is the same. What's different is the people. So Mm -hmm. the focusing on really identifying the best and the expert team from that vendor community, that focus is missing. In one of my episodes before, I went and downloaded about 20 RFPs um, that were published publicly. And all of the evaluation criteria and the questions were around, provide me details about your experience in the industry, about capability and capacity, about past performance. And this past performance is is a beast, in my view, because we're asking past performance on the company, but... Does the company name made those past performance outcomes or their people? What if their people left or they're not working on your project? Is a vendor ever going to give you a reference to a bad project? Mm -hmm. No. So we're really trying to look at different things in order to confirm who is the best supplier. But for me... What we're currently doing is similar to we asking vendors, who's the expert here? And everyone will say, I am. And they have Mm -hmm. a template for each of these questions because they've been responding to these questions for many years now and they know what to answer and what to put in there. These large proposals that go sometimes to the thousands of pages in large projects and we hand this over to the evaluation team and we tell them, here you go. You've got about 500 pages or a thousand pages combined of Mm -hmm. all the proposals you have two weeks go through them and give me your answer Mm -hmm. and what we found also in this environment the evaluators tend not to read every page of each proposal Mm -hmm. it's just not possible Mm -hmm. if all of this is happening and people are not reading and even if they read the proposal 
there's a lot of marketing and sales materials that you basically have the same, the vendor saying the same things, all of them, mm-hmm. but with different languages. So it becomes right. extremely hard for evaluators to make differentials between these proposals. And a lot of owners, what's really interesting is a lot of owners think that, that they are not going price-based award because they have other evaluation criteria elements. But in reality, because you've made everything else meaningless or pointless, because people either are not reading or if they've read it, the information is really mm-hmm. confusing. What the, the, what the award now is going to revert back to? What is the only decisive factor that we have? It's cost. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what's... Do you want to add any color to that? You said a lot there, and I, I was going through, and as, as you were saying that, you started off talking about the fact that as you talk to a supplier and you may have inconsistency in the delivery of a particular supplier or vendor on a particular project. And you made a great point is the fact that it comes down to not necessarily who that company is, but who are the people that you're going to be engaging with or will be servicing you on a particular project. And, and, and a lot of companies will go out and they'll interview. They want to know and identify them, sometimes put the names of those people in agreements that this is who I want as part of my team on this particular project. And so they'll, make, they'll get that specific, at least for key roles, maybe not all of the roles mm-hmm. within the organization. And that on a more consistent basis today, especially in data consulting firms, various different projects, et cetera, that I think the idea that it's about the people themselves and who you're going to work with there. And we've exposed that in organizations, not just where it's the labor in terms of um, the actual professional services, but even in manufacturing companies in terms of who you're working with, et cetera, potentially it's who you're working with on co-innovation and, and those types of things. Great company. And some, you know, I've had some, you know, uh, customers or clients of mine that have talked about, Hey, it's X company, big name company that do all kinds of innovative stuff, but that doesn't mean they're going to do it for you. Yeah. And how do you understand that and understand that they're going to devote time to you to treat you, to innovate with you, to do the kind of performance and what you're expecting as they would with anybody else. And that's a difficult thing to ascertain sometimes. Because one of the challenges is that a lot of companies will say, I need you to invest in me as a supplier. I need these types of capabilities and I I need you to participate in some of our, our product development processes. And there's some things that you're doing that we want to be part of, and we want you to be involved in that. And it's going to require an investment by that supplier. You have to get the confirmation from the senior levels of that organization because as a supplier, I can't invest in every business that's out there. Um, I have to make decisions in terms of Mm -hmm. where I'm going to invest more, where am I going to put my best people? Because you're not going to have all the same level of people. You love to say that, but we have disparities. Uh, We have disparities in performance, et cetera. So where am I going to make those investments and where do they make the most sense? And I think that's something that you try to undercover is, am I that customer that you're going to truly invest? And how do I uncover that through a process? As you say, a sourcing process, an RFP process, 
how do I really extract that and really understand that and, and trust that what's coming out of that? Mm. You, you another oh, go ahead. I just want to say something here about the, the companies and the teams and the disparity of their capabilities and skills. What we also learned from that research that we've done is pretty much every company, they have the, their A team, their B team, their C team. It's very rare you see a company that has all of their people from type A team. And what we're trying to educate clients is if you go into a procurement mm -hmm. and you think by default you're going to get the A team, you really need to think again because vendors are serving many other clients other than you. And it's all about the money. Where can I maximize my profit by sending my best people to do their work. If you are a bad client that I'm going to send you my best people and you're going to start telling them what to do and how to do it, I better take these people off, put them on another project where they can finish quickly and get the job yeah. done because they are an expert. And I'm going to send you the people that, that like to be told what to do. Mm -hmm. So we, we're trying to really uncover this to clients to really open their mind about People will make the difference. And if you haven't put the right measures and the right tools in your evaluation process to identify those expertise, don't just expect that you're going to get them by default because that's not going to happen. Exactly yeah. as you mentioned, Chris. Yeah. And I think as you talk about the measures, I think one of the things I always tell organizations is that if we're going to go through this process, and if I'm sitting with a stakeholder or a business leader, you know, how are you as the business leader going to measure the success of this overall effort? Mm. Because that's what I want to utilize and I want to incorporate in terms of the, the, the whole process with that particular supplier. Because the business, I may be, if I'm in procurement, certainly one of my objectives will be cost tends to be one of the areas, especially in the current environment. It's been elevated more significantly now than it was, say, last year. But there are other things that are success factors. And do we fully understand that? And not just to understand the, the, the success factors, but I think it's very important to say, how are you going to evaluate me? And whether or what I did was successful or not, what are you going to look at? And I want to know the measure. And if it's a metric, I want to know what level of that metric, if it's savings, I, I'm not saying that's the one, but how are you going to go do that? Mm. And, and they say, you know what, it, it's, it's, if I do this and does it allow me, ultimately I'm trying to drive additional revenue. So whatever I'm buying, is going to help me do that. And so I'm looking at it that I'm going to find the supplier is going to allow me to gain more market share. That's good for me to understand as a sourcing professional that's engaging with this particular supplier because I want to make that part of the discussion. I want to make that part of the negotiation. I certainly want to make it as part of the measures, which I want them to fully understand. I give you an example during COVID I had, I've worked with lots of different organizations across different industries, but one of the industries that I've been working in on my doctoral dissertation is the medical device industry. And one of the things, what was interesting is I talked about that 
as companies came together because of the environment around us and, and the fact that it was the medical device industry and many of the companies in that industry were making devices that were helping people and protecting people during this period of time, either in testing devices, et cetera. And, and so as you look at that, trying to gain and, and understand the kinds of things, and this is, goes into what are you doing, how important it really is and helping that supplier know that. A lot of times these medical device organizations were working with suppliers and maybe it wasn't their tier one, but it was tier two. And, and, and during the entire last couple of years, we had all of these supply constraints. And in some cases, the organizations, whether it was tier two or even tier three, didn't really understand. They produced something, but didn't understand ultimately where that was going. And, and then if they look up downstream a bit, they would have saw that this is going into a medical device organization, this particular device that's going out and helping to protect people during this, this pandemic, this period of time, et cetera. And what you found are the organizations started to try to ensure that they understood that and, and they got different types of treatment. But again, it comes down to understanding those outcomes and whatever you're producing is where it's going. It's not a perfect analogy for what you're saying, but what I'm trying to instill is that you have to understand, you have to think longer, you have to see where, whatever you're doing. What is it actually trying to accomplish? And with that, is that supplier, is that vendor, are we holding them accountable for those particular outcomes that we need or not? Mm -hmm. Start always with the end in mind. And, and sometimes that end goes beyond the four walls of your company. That's where we have to start to look at is ultimately, what are you using as your yardstick in terms of what are you measuring on? Chris, I want to go back into that accountability piece, because let's say a procurement has just finished the sourcing event, they signed the contract, and mm -hmm. it's been handed over to the business unit or the end user, the stakeholders, to work on the project. And a few months later, that project is not going well. Mm -hmm. In the current environment, this is at least my experience, no one goes back to procurement and tell them, hey, what have you guys done in your procurement process to make sure that we don't go with this wrong outcome or bad outcome that we're currently experiencing? Mm -hmm. What have you tried to do in your process to avoid all the pain that we're suffering right now with this vendor? No one is doing that. In the majority of cases, the blame goes towards the vendor. Okay. You are the, the wrong person here. And no one goes back to procurement. And that in itself puts procurement in a place where they really don't care about what that end results or how smoothly the delivery of this project or service is going to be. As long as I'm doing my process or signing the contract or getting the or having the contract signature is the end goal for me or the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. And I don't really care about what happens after. That's not going to help any improvement on how we procure goods and services for our organizations. Do you agree or disagree with that, that this accountability piece is not happening right now and it should really happen 
because that's maybe the only or one of the ways that we can really push procurement a little bit to look into what we're currently doing and see if there's something that doesn't make sense, if something that really not helping us differentiate those expertise within our tender process and we can do something about it. But if no one is coming back to us, telling us anything, why would I even bother? I would love to think that everything is going well. Like we've been using this process for 30 years now and we're going to keep using it because I'm not feeling the pain that the end user is feeling right now. My piece ends just by signing the contract. And maybe because we are in procurement, we don't see exactly as you mentioned, we don't see the end results, especially on large projects. But I want to talk more about this accountability piece and Mm -hmm. see your view about that. Yeah, it's something that you find in organizations where you have silos. And it's like an assembly line where you do something and then you push it to the next step and you don't worry about, I'm done. I did what I need to do and now you have it. And now you take responsibility from here on out. I, I give you an example. Uh, in procurement, we talk about the purchase to pay process. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest challenges is that in most organizations, you had accounts payable that was sitting in finance and you had purchasing or requisition in, in PO processing and creation was occurring in procurement. And even when they were brought together or they worked well together, um, what you didn't have in many organizations, um, and this started to emerge more and more, uh, I'd say about 15 years ago, was the idea of what we call process ownership. That somebody is accountable for that end-to-end performance of that overall process. Uh, that you didn't have the silos. And so what you started seeing was the emergence of these process owners. A lot of those process owners resided in procurement. And so they may not have accounts payable reporting to them, similar to your example, where the business isn't reporting to me, but I still have accountability for the performance of accounts payable because I own the overall process itself. And so I'm focusing on improving it overall. And I think this is what has to happen. And I think this is what you're referring to is that sometimes there's a handoff that occurs. And and with that handoff, um, it's almost as if we're handing off the accountability for the next, the performance overall. And a lot of times you look at this as a life cycle, that we're making a decision for an organization that is a life cycle decision. And, And so we're making a decision on supplier what they're going to provide to us. And it's not just making the decision of who it is, but it's the ongoing performance of that organization over time. And does it allow us to meet the objectives as to why we selected that particular supplier and what they're providing to us to meet our objectives as a company, not as a sourcing, not as a procurement organization, but as an organization, as a company, whether that is to create some advantage depending on what it is that we're buying, especially if it's a direct material, that becomes very important. And I think these things have to be brought together. One of the things I'm seeing in organizations, and we've seen that over time, is more alignment. Because a lot of times you'd see that in companies where you had a misalignment between the supply organization and the market-facing organization sales, marketing, customer service, et cetera. 
And so what we saw was some organizations starting to realign themselves and saying, all right, we're going to go build an organization that is focused on, we're going to put everybody from supply all the way up to the end customer in one organization. And everyone in that organization will be focused on delighting that end consumer, that end customer. And those are the objectives that we're going to go through. And so we as a procurement organization, as we're making decisions, especially in that supply chain, we're making decisions based on what we need to occur with that end consumer. We're not just trying to get something that is more internal within the organization. And so again, this is just bringing all that together. Lots of stuff's been happening in this space over the last number of years to have much more of that sort of integrated within the organization. And I think that's very applicable to whether it's an internal, external, but I think where the bigger problems is not necessarily when you're creating product for the market, a direct supply chain, um, the bigger issues is when we're buying things like internally, some of the projects, et cetera, that you highlight where there tends to be more of a handoff and, and not an ongoing accountability for the overall success of that supplier relationship and what they're doing. And are they meeting the needs of what we need to accomplish as a business? That alignment reminds me with, in our approach, we, um, we actually ask vendors to specify the two or three key personnel, depending on the project nature. For, so if it's construction, we ask them to specify who's going to be the project manager and the site superintendent mm-hmm. for IT who's, and the project management. And, and we actually... A lot of people, what we're doing in the RFP process is they ask for resumes and, and maybe that's mm-hmm. the best that they can do. But we actually bring them in and we actually conduct an interview individually. And one of the questions that we ask is what do you see as the biggest risk on this project? And believe it or not, one of the most commonly answered mm-hmm. that we get from these people is my biggest challenge is to be able to provide everything our sales and marketing team promised that we can deliver on this project. <laughs> These people are pretty honest when you bring them in that environment. So it's a really interesting piece here about that alignment yeah. between what different parts of the business are doing and how can we make these two people align together. But do, do you see that advocacy for urging the stakeholders now and the end users to engage more with procurement on not to accuse them, but really give them that nudge that they need to really look into what they're doing and try to improve things. Because one of the things when I present, for example, and and I'm sure you've seen this a lot as well, you're Mm -hmm. trying to tell people a new way is a better way to do things and they get really excited and they love it. Mm-hmm. It makes perfect sense. But the next day they go, they do the same stuff that they've been doing over and over. And no one is doing anything, improving anything in, in what they're doing. Could that accountability piece push these procurement people to really mo- look more seriously at, at improving what they're doing in their practices? I do believe that. 
And I was going to make a comment on your, as people learn new things, it's, we do a lot of training as an organization. And I always ask the group when I'm done, I said, so I know that I didn't waste the last two days or last day going through all of this. What are we going to do to ensure that this becomes embedded in our behavior going forward? And that we just don't get leave and just get back to our day job and hey, oh that's great I, I just went through you know, eight hours of training all right let's get back to what we've been doing <laughs> and, and and you have to think about that because it's it, it, the thing is not the training too many organizations and I know I'm getting off on a bit of a tangent here they'll look at it and say we did forty hours of training for everybody I said that's great but did you change behavior yeah. because that's all that matters. Right. If you didn't change any behavior, then it doesn't matter what you, how many hours people go through. And I usually tell organizations, I'd rather you see you go through and do less training and focus on one area and ensure you make a change in behavior than try to go after all kinds of things and nothing changes. 100%. So when you think about the accountability, it's critical that they have a, broader purview of what that is. And again, I was mentioning earlier, I think some of that accountability comes from supplier management. And, and as and I, I believe that over time, if we can embed more supplier management activities, performance, because if the supplier is performing well, then I would expect that the project, as long as it was scoped correctly, that's another whole issue, hmm. then you would hope that we're actually meeting the needs that we need to go do. But that's going to require a lot of things. It's, it's what are we going to measure that supplier on? And that's not an after the fact. Um, it, too often I see organizations, they'll have these agreements with suppliers, but they didn't get put any thought up front in terms of what do we really want as the outcome? And, and really set up that performance measurement system as part of the contracting process. This is our expectations. This is the way we're going to measure you on an ongoing basis and, and use that. And they ought to be reflective of what the business cares about. And I always say, you know, at the end of the day, it's about business success. How do we enable the organization that we all are part of supply management, how do we ensure the business success? And we don't define it in, in, in supply management. It's defined by what the business in it and how they define that success changes all of the time. We're in an environment, as I mentioned earlier today, that it's more difficult to grow our top line revenue. Not for everybody, but we're seeing more challenges in the economy right now. And cost has become much more elevated in terms of a top priority to shore up our margins. So as a result of that, we in supply management have had to pivot. That has become a more, I'll say, heavily weighted objective that we have as we engage in the supply markets um, across either existing or, or new suppliers. But we have to be looking at what are we trying to achieve and this is where I think, as you think about supply management professionals, it's just, we talk about what is that training? You, you, we were talking about doing training and making sure it's embedded. But the idea of business acumen, I think, becomes very important. 
we can be very good at a lot of the, I'll just say the commercial skills that we develop, but having good, not only commercial sense, but mm -hmm. business sense really helps in, in terms of architecting those relationships that are necessary and looking more longer term at the overall success of it and not looking at it as a transaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you talked about the contracting piece, uh, what we observed in, in our implementations, and we've done about like over 3000 projects with, with our approach. And what we started to, to see is a lot of people think that their contract or they actually relying on the strength of their contract documents mm -hmm. in order to drive performance with the vendors. And what we saw in, in that history is that has been proven to be a really poor method to really drive performance up because we never see a contract that has terms that says it is okay to finish late or it is okay to finish over budget or it is okay to mm -hmm. make a poor quality job. But these things keep happening all the time. So it's not just about the contract and, and what we have put in place in the contract, but it's more about having that right supplier, the right team working in your project. Because if you, have, if you hire someone that doesn't understand what to do, the contract isn't going to help them understand that. The contract, mm -hmm. what we saw in the contract is just a, a tool to help you minimize your pain after the fact. Mm -hmm. Because let's face it, the only time that you open your contract after you sign it is when you have problems. We always say that the best contract that you write is the one that you never look at once you sign the contract. That's yeah. the best one. So having those other elements in in and this is one of the thoughts that we're trying to break for organizations is your contract isn't going to protect you from poor performance. Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for consistent, successful outcomes, please don't rely on your contract. Because if you hire the wrong supplier, the contract isn't going to help. Do you want to add anything to that, Chris? Before? I absolutely agree with you. I It's interesting. And I, I've been in a lot of interesting discussions over time and sometimes with the legal teams at companies and there's sometimes a disagreement. We're protected because we're going to, if they don't perform, then we have it in the agreement. But, and, and I say, we'll have, if somebody can't supply us and then we're going to be able to go after them or we'll sue them or something if they can't meet their delivery schedules or whatever. That doesn't help you with the reputational yeah. damage out in the marketplace. And and I'd rather prevent and do all the things to ensure that we don't have something like that happen versus trying to deal with the how we're going to get compensated afterwards. I've had even organizations where the legal team sit there and say, we don't want to give them any procedures or guidance because if they follow all the things that we tell them to go do and something still goes wrong, then we can't sue them. What do you mean? Who cares? We're trying to run a business here. Um, and I'd rather give them that guidance and, and do that. Now, it may not be perfect and all those types of things, but we're going to develop that 
and make them as successful as they can be as long as they're willing, right? So it's interesting. Sometimes the challenges or the dichotomies I see in these organizations in terms of the way people look at things, uh, depending on the organization within the company they're from. Yeah. As we winding down on the session here, I want to look into one of the things that procurement people complain most of the time is when project goes well on the other side, no one is celebrating procurement for their efforts, that they've done a great job. And that really contributing also, if we're looking, if we're talking about accountability, when things go wrong, what about giving credit to procurement when things go well? Do you see that happens a lot in, in your experience? Do I see it happen? Yes, yes. But I think we go back to what we were saying before. We have fragmented, I just call it a fragmented process, right? And there's handoffs versus it's just continuous. And that we're going through in terms of the selection and we maintain accountability and responsibility as we continue on. We're being judged on the overall success of the relationship and not the transaction that we just put in place in terms of cost or whatever. But what, what, why do we need that particular relationship in the first place? What is it doing to enable our business success and whatever we're trying to go do and ensuring that continuity there that requires a team and it requires not the staged kind of processes. That's part of the problem with processes. There, there's steps and, and there's handoffs. And this is what I was saying before about having process ownership, understanding that there's an accountability for overall life cycle success in this whole environment. And so I think it affects from the perspective of if things went wrong, sometimes it doesn't come back at the same time, it's the success as well. And is because we see success at that end. We don't see the success and the foundation of creating excess or non-success up front. And, and again, I, you could use, there's so many other examples outside of what we're talking about here in the, in the procurement sourcing environment where this happens, where we don't look at it all. And, and sometimes you can look in sales sometimes and say, who gets all the accolades when something happens? Typically that salesperson who closed the deal. What you don't see is all of the stuff that occurs to make that transaction successful. Mm. And, uh, but the accolades go to that individual or that team that actually did, uh, I'll call it the transaction. I listen to a lot of uh, sales and marketing stuff and uh, there's voices now talking about what the marketing has been doing previously is all of the job is to provide leads and a lot of contact details for the uh, sales team to start and re outreach to them to start to sell them. But organizations started to look at the quality of those leads. If mm -hmm. they, they're now expecting more from their marketing teams to not mm -hmm. just give them a bunch of contact details for the sales team to do, but they really wanted them to provide more high quality leads so that the sales yeah. cycle can be done a lot more effectively. So mm -hmm. I think it's the same analogy here that now like organizations started to look at marketing in order to increase their sales and look at what marketing are doing and starting to improve things in what they're doing in order to make that outcome of the sales more successful. 
The same thing okay. that goes with procurement and, and end user stakeholders is mm -hmm. really need to look at the source of what we're doing and improve that in order to yep. have different successful outcomes that happens more consistently in our projects. Yeah, I think that's one of the analogies there and what's been a, a more hot area lately is just the whole supplier discovery process. And, and, and how do we get better visibility and how do we speed up that process and not just speed it up to, to discover a potentially new supplier in a particular area that's new to us that we're going out to market for, uh, but also ensuring there are a quality supplier that's going to have the fit that we need in our organization. Mm. That's massive effort for a lot of organizations. So there's a lot of focus on trying to gain more intelligence around that. I think what's going to be interesting is a lot of the things that we're talking about and the whole convergence of AI and, and more specifically generative AI, the impact that's going to have on this overall commercial process itself, potentially as some of these activities, a lot of them will be enabled more effectively with intelligence, intelligent tools, and even autonomous tools. It's going to give supply management more time to focus on what I'll call relationships, not only internally with the business and in many ways that should drive more cross cycle accountability is what I'll call it. Yeah. It's been fantastic to have this discussion with you, Chris, lots of great insights and lots of great advices in there. And I wish that we have touched on a topic that has been overlooked maybe in the past by many organizations, but we're trying to really shed some light on the importance of bringing more involvement from the procurement team into the outcome of the project and services and move beyond just having them just to be focusing on compliance with their processes and really open the thinking for them to move and think beyond, as you mentioned, what even outside the walls of our organizations, if that what we measure going to success on, we need to really open that environment for the procurement team to understand and contribute to that and also celebrate them when things go well. But also, in order to improve things, we need to really bring them more accountable to the outcomes and have a little bit of contribution to what the outcome is going to be because they play a significant role in that initial piece of hiring that vendor. They mm -hmm. are the businesses looking at them as please help us get the best outcome. And I think they have a significant role to play in there. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Chris, and um, thanks again for your time. And, and I hope we can, uh, have you a reoccurring guest on our, on our show in the future? Yeah, I've enjoyed the conversation and uh, I look forward to uh, engaging in uh, other interesting topics, I'll just say. Wonderful.